0: Dear congregants, to the unveiling of our state-of-the-art greastismal font. It's great, it's ooey, and it's gooey, and it's ready for some greastisms, so we might officially welcome new congregants into the Church of the Story. The story must be told! The story must be told! Duh! congregants. You'll get used to the stinging chemical smell. And to our new congregants entering the grease pit, a word of warning. You might want to bite your lip and count to ten, because this little stinker is bubbling at a piping hot 125 degrees Fahrenheit. If it burns, it means it's working. Pastor Andrew, let's kick things off. Why don't you bless these fine folks and dunk them in that holy crease?
1: (laughs) Oh, thanks, Brother Reed. Our first congregant here is Laura B. Laura, the next time you chew gum, swallow it. Take another piece and swallow it again. Repeat, repeat, repeat until a little sticky baby grows in your fertile gut. May its birth be painless. You will name the child Big League Chew. Up next, I'd like to welcome Christine R. Christine, everyone you know and hold dear is an imposter. Even me, this has all been an elaborate ruse. Christine isn't even your real name. Your real name is Deborah Cunningham, and you were born to Lois and Kevin Cunningham in Centerville, Ohio. The movie The Truman Show is about you. Your whole life has been recorded on TV. You're on TV right now. Nothing is real. Smile for the cameras, bucko. There's no escape. Come on up here, Aya. See? Who wants a piece of me? Huh? I'll fight for Aya's honor and the honor of Aya's family. Come visit me behind the church and show me what you're made of. There's no God. I'm not afraid to die. I'm the biggest man in the world. This is your last chance, and I'm a mean guy with nothing to lose. Heads up, Charlie. You're going down. And finally, I'd like to welcome Dorian H. Dorian, I taught a parrot how to say your name. I released the parrot into the wild, and she's teaching other birds how to say your name. But guess what? I taught that parrot some dirty swears, too. And it's teaching the other birds dirty swears. So the next time you hear a bird, it'll cry out, Dorian likes the... The... Right inside... And all of... And the one where... Flips the... Out. (laughs) All right now, Brother Reed. Let's seal this greasy deal with a story.
0: From The Book of Gametes, written by Haploid, a story titled, Two Testicles in the Indiana Clay. Sal lost his testicles in a farming accident. Ironically, it was a cedar that did the deed. He got drunk after Trista left him for the second time. He liked to punch things when he was drunk, but he didn't want to break another mirror. Instead, he stood in the barn and hit a tennis ball into the fields with an aluminum bat. A wayward ball soared over the corn into the soybeans, under where the cedar was parked for the night. The 20-year-old Hoosier was trying to fish the ball out from under the back roller when the cedar spasmed to life. A steel seed spike popped in and out through the groin of his dungarees. "Mum!" He screamed at the farmhouse. "Mum!" Somewhere along rows 219 to 224, two testicles were planted in the Indiana clay, never to sprout a soybean. He screamed until he passed out, the last burst of pure emotion he'd ever feel. Recovery was agony, but not the kind Sal expected. The sutures hurt, the drugs made him woozy, and yes, he missed his testicles. He was attached to his testicles, had given each a name, Lefty and Big Boy. Though a small percentage of his body, they comprised a fundamental part of his personality. His body healed, but his emotions suffered. Sal could no longer pinpoint any single feeling. There was a deeper core absent like going blind in the center of his vision, but retaining the periphery. He could still generally tell when he was hungry or in pain, but all nuance vanished. His lips were slack, his eyes half-lidded. He stopped watching primetime dramas and showed up late for farm work. A strange, stifling calm emanated from him, like he was soaked in ether. Sal started sleeping 20 hours at a time his mother had to poke him with a fork to wake him up for meals. He stopped brushing his teeth, and he didn't care to flush the toilet. Two symptoms the mother realized when she found teeth floating in an unflushed bowl. The mother, a 60-year-old widow with a heavy brow and two missing front teeth, knew Sal needed professional psychiatric help, the kind which their insurance did not cover. That being any Instead of a mental health expert, she called her cousin Roxy, a past-life regression therapist. Of course I can help him! Roxy squealed on the phone. I'll give you the family discount. This meant free. Sal's mother drove him to the appointment. He listened to every radio commercial, made no conversation, except dry remarks on gas prices and passing billboards. Roxy was not a doctor, and it was not a doctor's office they visited, but Roxy's deceased son's bedroom. She covered the bed in a roll of paper for hygiene's sake. Sal lay down. Roxy stared into his bland pupils. Sal, listen to me carefully. We have more lives than this one, Sal. I want you to drift back, Sal past this life, past your previous life. Find your first life, Sal. I'm going to count down, and when I reach one, you will see your very first life, Sal. She counted down from 22. The loss of his testicles had made Sal highly suggestible. By five, Sal slipped out of consciousness. And one. Okay, Sal. Here we are. Tell me, what do you see? Sal did not respond. Sal? All Sal heard was the rush of air and the tolls of distant bells. His vision went spotty, colors bursting behind his eyes, turning the black of his eyelids into a phantasmagoria. The injured boy vibrated on the bed with a low groan, His mother became concerned, but Roxy held her back. This is perfectly normal. The bell's tolling began to warp, forming ghostly harmony. The dots of color before his eyes began to zoom past and deep inside himself. He felt the sensation of falling. Sal fell through previous iterations of himself. A miner in West Virginia, a senator in Rome, a clumsy Neanderthal, An introverted Australopithecine. Through the void before his birth, he drifted far out of his body back in time, past the age of man. Sal's body now jerked and seized. His mother couldn't stop herself. She held onto him, trying to wake him up. Sal, are you there? Sal, wake up. He roared through the Black Empty Now earlier and earlier, past the age of mammals, before the megafauna. He bucked and jolted on the mattress like an electrified worm. Roxy could not rouse him, not by shouting, splashing water, or, growing desperate, biting his fingers. When he woke an hour later, his fingers would be sore from the uncredentialed therapist's teeth. By then, he would feel no pain. Sam! Sal spat foam and saliva all over the wall with the violent twists of his head. He predated the trilobites, so far back he shed all other cells in his body, until he was but one. And one was everything. Sal became cell. Cell was always. Cell was who was. Cell was the eternal ancestor prime. Cell knew nothing of testicles, human love or language. Cell knew fullness, rebirth and eternity. Also sodium and fat molecules and protein and the satisfaction of consuming smaller creatures. Cell was the first cell to ever live and it saw no need for change. Cell lived short lives. It maintained a strict membrane. It ran twin spools of nucleic acid through enzymes like zippers along endless teeth, spitting out the bent, twisting snares of protein, commanding Cell to perform its simple functions. Cell was a tape player on a loop. It consumed and grew, consumed and grew, until the tape and the player tattered apart, and the membrane burst in a pop of death. But Cell never disappeared. Before Cell died, it gathered every string of tape and zipped them in a zipper unlike any other. It doubled every piece until its tape was not one, but two. Cell heaved and shook until a seam folded along its long back. The doubled Cell split in half, born anew. It lived its life over again. Fullness, rebirth, eternity, sodium, fat, proteins, consumption, zip, zip, spit, bend, double, split, eat, grow, eat, grow, tatter, grow, grow, pop. Cell was eternal and whole through every division. A mother who gave birth to herself. For millennia, it split and split and split, and if there were errors, they meant instant death. Reproduction for Cell was not the big deal it would come to be. There was no animal rush in doubling its strings of tape, no orgasmic tremor as it split its round body in half. Cell tolerated reproduction only by lazy necessity. It never changed, until an error survived. It was a golden dusk on the steaming rock of Earth, under the setting sun, in the primordial mud, Cell reproduced in its billions and billions, but in one faulty cell, it did not divide equally. From the toil of fission came two daughters, but not twins. One was overfilled with spools of tape, the other malnourished from deletions. They pressed against each other for a moment, their last embrace. The full one burst. POP! The normal cells watching understood this death and found peace in it. Sad, yes, but the proper order of nature. Yet the other daughter, a sickle-shaped angular and sickly version of Cell, did not die. It should have been impossible for the reduced tape loop of memory inside her to keep her alive, but it did. There was enough memory to tell the mutant daughter of sodium, and fat, and eating, and zipping, and bending, and folding, and growing. Cell hated seeing these scraggly survivors of itself. It ignored her. The deletions in the sickly cell made her hard to ignore, though. Whatever was gone from the tape loop made her jitter and spasm. The point of her angular membrane punctured other cells like poking a friend in the eye. The erroneous cell agitated the other cells, drifting against the flow late to every cellular event. What groups of cells billions of years later would call, not a team player. Every other cell pushed away, tried to pop her membrane. She should not survive. They did not care, it was themselves inside her. Their own identity broken and cracked apart. For now, she was separate. The sun set on the primordial goo, and all the cells across the mud neared the end of their tape loop. Death approached, Cell prepared for the ritual. All of Cell's billions of selves began doubling their tape loops on cue. The mud bubbled and popped with a tide of reproduction. All the iterations of Cell did this except for the faulty Cell. Oh yes, she doubled her tape loop, but she did not divide. She waited. And she waited. Inside her, Cell knew something was wrong. It should never be so distended for so long. Cell thought this was the end. It would die a bloated self virgin within her. It was wrong. Despite the wait, division came. The faulty Cell lined her double strands of tape like pairs of dancers in the middle of her nucleus. Cell felt the familiar tug of fission as the partners were torn from one another. The faulty daughter heaved and shook until she folded in half and tore along a seam. Cell passed carbon dioxide out of its cell membrane in passive transport, a sigh of relief. The faulty cell was a broken thing, but she did her job. Cell wondered if it had been too harsh on the outcast version of itself. Except the faulty cell, now become two, didn't stop. The tape loop lined up again in the new nuclei. There was no doubling. The dancers returned to the dance floor in each faulty cell, but they did not have their partners. No! The dancers lined up lonesome. Inside those nuclei, cell felt a new terror. Isolation. Outside the nuclei, in its billions, Cell watched, reeling in slow motion horror at the catastrophe. At the poles of the nucleus, knotted fibers raced to the unpaired spools of tape. They bit into the dancers, not guiding hands and feet, but seizing fingers and toes. Then, it began to rip. Each bastard daughter of the cell writhed in agony. A tear slashed up through each loop of tape, higher and higher, until the twin strands were torn in half. Cell knew only one comparison for this. Death. But this time death was not the end. The corrupt cells stuffed each half to one side and pinched their membranes in, in, in. A seam tore through them. Within the four new half-cells, cell was alive, but no longer whole. It had only half its memory, half its functions, half its very code for life. It could sense its other half somewhere out there, separated by a distance it could never touch. It had no mouth to scream, no eyes to search. The isolation was eternal now, a gnawing internal absence that would not heal. Cell waited for death, begged for it, but this dignity was denied. The separation endured. The pain began to crystallize, take on new emergent properties. Cell felt a quality of agony that Earth had never known before. It was lonely. Loneliness was this, the continuing of life after the pain of death. The four daughters were small, fragile halflings, running on single strands of tape. For millions of years, Cell had always known an internal pairing among its vast chains of information, a comforting fullness to its nucleus. Now, it was absent from itself. Inside the half-daughters, Cell felt what clumps of cells billions of years later would feel standing in an apartment after all the furniture is gone. Cell felt the unadorned stretches of its membrane, imagined where all the things would go if it weren't alone now. There had been no desire, no purpose to Cell's life before, but now it had as clear a purpose as any creature could know. It had to stop feeling this feeling. It had to end the loneliness. It could not go on like this. But this was too new. It knew no way to end the isolation within its own being. The only half of what cell once was, these half cells still functioned almost like real cells. They packaged waste and vesicles for disposal, constructed towers of amino acids, and maintained a strict personal membrane. Their only difference was the terrible absence. Though they had no hearts within their every act, they knew incompleteness. The absence spurred them on. Loneliness sent them racing to the end of their loop when death would release them. The sun set again on the mud, right as it began to boil with the evening rush of replication. All the full iterations of Cell began to double their strings of genetic code, but the half-cells did not. Here must be where their tape ran out, an end to loneliness. Inside the corrupt cells, Cell felt a strange comfort. The absence would finally resolve. But what remained on the tape loop had no code for doubling. Instead, it sent the half-cells to turbulent action. They bolted and twisted, crashed, pinched, and stabbed. Death spasms, Cell thought, watching from the outside as it suffered each stab. One half-cell bumped into the other, and they began to attack. Cell had never seen such brutality. They were trying to force themselves inside the other. This was no consumption but violence. The halflings bashed against one another, again and again, until they shattered each other's membranes. Organelles spilled out, cytoplasm drifting in the mud, but they were not finished. The half cell needed its old partner, the part of itself that had gone missing, pierced into one another. The two halflings began to dance. The ballet that occurred within the nucleus, across the dance floor of the metaphase plate, now had a new stage. The dance was outside themselves, so they had to press close to bring it home, pushing it in and among. Finally, one nucleus from the halfling spilled into the other, leaving a husk of membrane behind. The full cells tried to flee, whipping around in the mud, aghast. Such was the horror of the first sexual act. One cell had two nuclei, and in the commotion, they bashed together. Borders broke, and nucleotides spilled into the cytoplasm like urine into a public pool. Then, the nucleus reformed. The unpaired tape loops found each other. The two became one, but it was not the same one it was before. It was not its other half it merged with but the half of its cousin. The two other halflings merged as well, desperate for completion. Like their siblings, they found a stranger on the other side. Cell's loneliness was not resolved. When the sun set again, and the other former versions of Cell began to multiply, the children of the faulty Cell were not content with simple replication. They doubled alright, but when the others split once, they split twice. The loneliness of the halflings lived, For another generation, and at the next sunset near the end of their tape loops, they tried again to find their perfect partner. They all failed. There were new combinations and changes it would take eons to achieve by the lottery of normal mitosis, sickening mutations and deaths and deformities. Yet there were those that emerged better, save the weight of inner solitude. However long they lived, whatever they ate, or expelled, or grew, or split, the incompleteness gnawed at the ends of their code. Two split into eight, merged into four, split into sixteen, merged into eight, split into thirty-two, merged into sixteen, and on and on. They were the children of faulty inheritors of loneliness. At first, loneliness was a blip in days. It became a constant hum, a song. For all the thousands of imperfect cells driven mad by meiosis, there were billions of other complete cells watching in dissatisfaction. They could not let the deviation exist. Cell had to snuff out loneliness, even if it meant destroying itself. The full cells tried to swallow the children of faulty, but they were the same size. The growing Song of Loneliness drove them to new tactics. They stacked on top of one another, built towers not of protein, but of cells themselves. They let their being sink deeper, become not just a single entity, but a quality of a strange towered whole. It was no longer cell, but multi-cell. Multi-cell gathered pieces of itself until it could finally grow what it needed. A mouth. To cells, there is only one way to truly end something. Multicell swam through the song of loneliness. Past a streaming fold of mud, it found the strange children faulty and recoiled. Time had let the loneliness corrupt them. Their membranes had hardened and blistered, shrunk and grown, each cell different from the last. Multicell felt a strange pity. As it swallowed them whole. Inside Multicell, the children of Faulty fell lower and lower until they hit a strange ground. The walls, to their horror, were built out of other cells, mindless things with no real self of their own. Yet they envied these cells. They had only heard loneliness, they never felt it inside. The lonely cells changed that. Multicell squeezed against the cells, tried to grind them apart. It destroyed plenty of them, made so much gore it had to invent a hole to expel all the waste. But it could not destroy them all. Some were born mutated, with hooks and their folded membranes, which they used to latch on to multicell. They survived every bash and grind, multiplying and multiplying. The children of Faulty built a fortress inside Multicell, until loneliness was no longer a hum inside Cell, but a song inside Multicell, a constant refrain of incompleteness. Loneliness twisted Multicell into corrupt forms. Loneliness wormed its way into every function of the creature that was once Cell. Loneliness exhaled spores from fungi, spewed pollen from plants, grew fruit set structures rising into the sky, invented dance and song and art. Though dangling in a scrotum or tucked away in ovaries, their signals and needs commanded the rest of the body. More powerful than a brain, the body's own compass directing where the life should lead. Every creature born haunted, an inner isolation from themselves, an urge to find another to fill a hole that can never be sealed. Sperm swimming, eggs growing, replicating, twisting, dividing, twisting, pop, grow, eat, grow, bash, gnaw, eat, eat, bash, eat, bash, grow, eat, grow, 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 end without, end without, end without, end until... MAMA! Two testicles grew nothing in the Indiana clay. Sal! He heard his mother scream. Sal awoke from his trance. The mother clutched her heart in relief. Oh my god. Thank goodness. She pulled out her phone and canceled the lift she had ordered to the hospital. They didn't have ambulance money. Honey. Are you okay? Did it work? Sal could not talk, but he whined like a balloon losing air. He smelled the breeze and smelled loneliness. He saw trees through windows, birds in the branches, ants on the windowsill, loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. A lonely man drive by in a lonely car, chugging fossilized loneliness, blaring songs of loneliness. His mother hugged him and he felt the embrace of loneliness, the shriveled eggs of loneliness inside her jostling. He began to rattle and foam at the mouth. (laughs) Sal? The mother screamed as his body bloated and sagged in her arms. Free of his testicles, united to his original life, Sal knew completeness at the cellular level. The bastard half-cells were gone, and the rest of his bodily cells had no agreement to honor. They broke the bonds of multi-cell and returned to the life they once cherished.
1: Oh, dear Christ!
0: Through his mother's fingers, Sal dissipated into individual cells. His skin sloughed away, slipping into layers of epidermis and fat. His belly button untied itself, intestines popping from his gut like spring-loaded snakes in a novelty jar. The mother tried to hold him together, but found him increasingly squishy. His bones dissolved to dust, his eyes to jelly, a strange smile spread across his face as it slipped into mush. As his body disintegrated, air bubbled inside and pushed its way out through whatever aperture was available. From his eyes, belly, mouth, ears, and bottom, a single word whistled free as he spread across the comforter like an oil spill. (sighs) The story must be told.
1: This story must be told. Ooh, I loved that story, buddy. And a hearty welcome to all of our new congregants! (laughs) ho oh, Ah, wish I'd waited the doctor-recommended 180 minutes after eating before hopping into that greasetismal font. That thing really bubbles your guts can feel that jack-in-the-box I had for lunch knock-knock-knocking at my back door if you catch my drift. These second-degree burns aren't making things any better. (laughs) But that's how much of myself I give to you, congregants. Let my skin slough. Let my little bum quiver with grease. I'm the only pastor in America who will give everything for so feel free to get back to me at www.patreon.com tsmbt <laughs> Ah, I turned the last section into a shameless promotion. Who saw that coming? I'm just goofing around. Now let's gather ye round and pray for tax-exempt status so that we too can buy the Supreme Court and start making up some new laws that have nothing to do with our Constitution. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to This Story Must Be Told. I accidentally traveled through time. I'm stuck in the past. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TSMBTPod. I don't know where I am. Or should I say when I am? The past sure is scary. Join our Patreon buster, www.patreon.com slash TSMBT. For just $5.22 a month, you get exclusive access to our exclusive podcast, The 522 Club. (gasps) Wait a minute, this is looking familiar! (gasps) It can't be! I'm in a shopping mall in Dayton, Ohio. It must be 2003. We have lots of merch, you jerks. Go to www.babyneedsdaddy.com and get your merch today. Wow, there's a Spencer's Gifts here, and a sunglasses hut, and the food court is lousy with flirty, horny teens. Join us in two weeks for a brand new story. I'm gonna get a pair of wraparound sunglasses and wear cargo shorts. I'm gonna sell funny text t-shirts at Spencer's I'm gonna sell perfume at elder Beerman. I'm gonna be the king of Dayton, Ohio Behold my works and tremble. I just got a second chance at life, and I'm not gonna let you ruin it this time father
0: Ooh, I just like a tiny typo not a big one. Just give me an extra apostrophe Ooh, that means you did your work, but you didn't pay attention Mmm, I love a tiny typo
1: the story must be told (laughs)